This episode is brought to you by Hippo Manager. Hippo Manager is a cloud-based veterinary practice management software that saves you time and integrates with your favorite tools. Visit hippomanager.com to sign up for a demo and get a free trial. Being Hispanic, trying to get into vet school is, is difficult. And my big thing, I just needed someone to look past my last name. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. Achieving the American dream is difficult, but Dr. Victor Lopez is proof that it's possible. In this episode, you'll hear how being the son of immigrant parents presented him with a number of barriers. Because of these challenges, he had to work probably twice or three times harder than many of his veterinary peers. The journey of earning his DVM was filled with multiple rejections, doubt, few hours of sleep, long commutes, but most importantly, an unparalleled work ethic, determination, and passion. Here's Dr. Lopez. Both my parents are immigrants to this country. Um, They originally moved uh, to the U.S. around the age of 15 or 16. Uh, Moved to this country with basically no money, nowhere to live. Uh, They were illegal immigrants, just like uh, a lot of people in this country are. They moved to Chicago. Chicago is an area where at that point in time, all the jobs were at factories and all kinds of manual labor. It was a big city and it was always, and it was far enough away from the border uh, for U.S. Customs and immigration. So that was a big, a big thing for them. They did move to this country to give us a better opportunity, which they, it was kids that hadn't been born yet, which was us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was, I think that was a big the big thing of them moving to the U.S. Um, actually, my mom, while we lived in Chicago, so I was about nine or ten years old, uh, she worked in a, factory, a paper factory, uh, and my dad actually worked for the railroad. So he was actually working for the railroad. Um, he, he wasn't hired by the railroad. They would hire him just to help <laughs> help the the railroad workers at that point, and they eventually hired him. And he actually retired from the railroad. He worked there for 35 years. Wow. And then, uh, like I said, around the age of nine or 10, I remember we moved to Texas. Um, I do have two siblings. Actually, we were all born in Chicago. And then we all eventually, well, my brother and I, which are the youngest, moved with my parents to Texas. And then my sister moved probably four or five years later. They, they moved to this country with nothing, pretty much. Yeah. Do you think that when they came here, it was what they expected? Like, life was better? Um, I don't know if we, I would say it was better. It was harder. Yeah. Not knowing the language, uh, the immigration status. Um, I think it got to a point where just putting food on the table was, was something difficult for them. It's like moving to a country, you don't know the language. Yeah. Uh, even to communicate for simple things. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my mom told me she, they had to take her to the hospital one time when she was young. Uh, I mean, she couldn't even ask for a glass of water because she didn't know how to ask. 
or something like that. Language barrier is always a big issue. And um, what are some times where you've helped your parents in terms of language? Oh, I mean, that's since I can remember. <laughs> I mean, actually, I learned Spanish before I learned English. Um, I learned English once I started going to school. But um, ever since I can remember, even translating papers that would mail that would get to the house, just trying my best to, I mean, I'm an eight, nine-year-old kid trying to figure out how to <laughs> decipher what this paper is saying. Wow. <laughs> and, and that's something that I see now as a veterinarian and now that I'm older, it still happens today with a lot of the young kids coming up. I see this, especially when I have cl Hispanic clients that come to the clinic that I work at now, they bring their child to translate and then they see me, they're like, oh, you speak Spanish? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> they're so happy. Yes, and it, it, makes, it makes the transition a lot easier to do what they, what they want or what they need at this clinic. Yeah. And, it, and it makes it uh, an easier visit. They leave more comfortable and not kind of just, uh, I don't know what just happened or what I need to do. Yeah. So did this experience make, make you grow up faster, do you think? It did. It really did. Um, I do have a younger brother, but I feel like I was expected a little bit more just because I was older. Uh, my sister is actually older than I am, but like I said, we moved away about 10. So my sister's about 10 years older than I am. Moving to Texas, it, it, I mean, it got back to time to trying to translate certain things and trying to figure out how to tell my parents the correct thing that's said on the paper. I mean, even to this day, I mean, I still translate for my parents on a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Even though they've been in this country for a while, they, can, they speak their English uh, for the most part pretty good I mean but they still have trouble with certain things and still they'll call me to the house and I'll go and help them translate paperwork that they get or whatever yeah I think it's something kids in my situation or children will always <laughs> will always step in to help their parents on something like that yeah all right. So something really exciting is you just graduated this year. What was the date? May 1st, I believe. Okay. And I'm sure it was supposed to be in person, but because of COVID, it was virtual. Just curious, how did that feel? Or was it like it didn't matter because you were like, I'm finally a veterinarian? <laughs> um, I think it, it really didn't matter, especially when I got to tell my parents that this is it, I'm done, I'm a doctor. I'm like, you don't have to ask me anymore. I'm not going to go to school anymore. I guess it was kind of surreal. It kind of sucked that we didn't get to walk the stage and do the whole nine yards. But I mean, I was glad that to be done with it, I graduated, I had DVM. Yeah. Um, first doctor in the family. Yeah. So you have a really cool story very inspirational. You applied to veterinary school, uh, A&M, three times and didn't get in. Correct. I can't imagine like how frustrating that would be. But, but let's start from the very beginning. Tell me um, when you knew you wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, so my family's always owned animals, um, especially in Mexico where my grandparents lived and my parents lived when they were younger. Um, always had cattle, always had horses. Like I said, my parents moved to Chicago, and then from there they moved us uh, to Texas. Uh, we, my dad bought a little piece of land here, 
we had our, he had bought some cows and we had some calves. The calf started to bloat. So he's like, we need to take it to the veterinarian. I'm like, okay, like me not knowing what that is at, at this age. We took him, uh, the calf was treated. They intubated him, get uh, the gas out of him, captive. And I'm like, whoa, what, what is this? I have no idea who this person is or what my dad explained to me. It's a veterinarian. It's a, an animal doctor pretty much at that point when he explained to me. And I think from that point on, it just, that I can still picture it. It's still in my mind, all that stuff that happened that afternoon. Wow. And from that point on, it's like, this is what I want to do. I didn't know it was going to be, this is what I want to do at all costs, which is what I did. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I truly enjoy it. Yeah. And so the story goes that you're working at Subway. Correct. So, so during all this time, I'm in high school and I want to try to get into a vet's office just to see if this is what I really want to do. I am working at, uh, it's Love's, which is a truck stop that's here that has Subway in it. I'm working there. Dr. John Davidson comes in and start talking to him. He was a vet here in town before. He invited me to come over and I need to do volunteer hours for, I'm thinking about doing a vet tech program. I go and uh, I start talking to him. I reached out to Dr. John Davidson, who now works at BI Animal Health, to get his perspective of their encounter at the Subway shop and its positive outcome. Here's a verbatim quote. I remember Victor having a very pleasant way about him and a positive can-do attitude, exactly the kind of traits we're always looking for. So I invited him to come by and visit with me at the practice in the near future. He followed up on the invitation. We were visiting in my office, and I asked where he wanted to be in the next few years. His answer surprised me. As he said in a very matter-of-fact way, I want to be on the other side of that desk one day. I want to be a veterinarian. Not too long after, Victor joined our practice. He made good on his plans and overcame a tremendous amount of adversity to ultimately achieve his dream. It's hard for me to believe that was 15 years ago. I remember that fateful encounter as if it happened yesterday. I took a moment to join Tuskegee University's virtual ceremony earlier this summer. I swelled with pride as Victor became Dr. Lopez when he was conferred his DVM degree makes me very proud to know that he is back in my former practice doing as he intended. They take me on as a volunteer, so I volunteer, hang out at the clinic a couple of days. By that time, I had to graduate high school, and I was going to do my prereqs at Austin Community College. So at that point, I'm volunteering at the vet clinic, working at that truck stop, working at the, my parents' ranch, and going to school full-time. Oh, wow. And I'm doing all this at the same time. And then they, they end up hiring me at the vet clinic as an assistant tech. And just, I pretty much clean kennels, clean rooms and just stuff like that. But I got to see stuff. So which I thought it was awesome. Yeah. And then I met Dr. Stephen Gola, which he was partnered with Dr. Davidson. Dr. Stephen Gola is the president-elect of TVMA the veterinary officer for Innovative Pet Care, and president of Chisholm Trail Animal Health. I reached out to Dr. Gola, and he said he's so proud to be associated with a man of passion, perseverance, and grit. Dr. Lopez is an inspiration to us all, and he has made me a better veterinarian and leader. He is very much my younger brother in veterinary medicine, 
and I'm excited to see him as part of the next generation of veterinarians in the state of Texas. And I'm going to vet tech school at Paloto College in San Antonio. I graduated, I graduated from there. And at that time, I'm still working for the clinic, working for my parents, going to school full time. Uh, at that time, I'm actually living still in Lulee, and I'm driving to San Antonio, oh. 60 miles one way every day for two years. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I did that, graduated from vet tech school in 2008. Then I'm like, well, if I want to keep going, if I want to try to get into vet school, I need to get an undergrad. So I start at Texas State University here in San Marcos. I get my undergrad there while I'm working at the ranch and at the clinic and going to school. <laughs> I'm doing all of this. Uh, I, I graduate. I meet my wife my, my senior year in uh, undergrad at Texas State. I get married. I leave the clinic here in Lillian because I, I got accepted for a master's program at Texas A&M Kingsville. Okay. And by this time, I've already applied twice to Texas A&M. And they've said no both times. So, so tell, tell me how you felt after that. Were you surprised? The first time, I'm like, okay. I'm like, most people take two tries to get into vet school. Okay. I'm like, all right, cool. First time, I was like, okay. The next time it was like, mm, there's knots in my throat and my stomach. I'm like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And I'm like, well, I'm like, I'll just keep trying and keep trying. So I meet my wife and she kind of, she's still kind of nudging me to keep doing it. Yeah. She's like, yeah, just keep trying. We'll get, we'll get her ma She got her master's the same time I got my master's at Texas in Kingsville. Nice. Like I said, I met her my senior year. It, at Texas State. I met her Easter that year, and that, we're married by August. Moved to, to, uh, to Kingsville. I started working for a clinic near Corpus Christi while I was going full-time doing my master's. And then I spent a year there at that clinic, and then I became a ranch manager for Texas A&M Kingsville. I was what they call a, a livestock herdsman. I was in charge of all the animals on the farm. And I was doing my master's at that time. I, uh, I graduated from my master's. I actually called Dr. Gola. I'm like, I'm applying to vet school one more time. <laughs> I need a job for a year. He's like, yeah, come back home. He hired me. I applied again, but this time I applied to Texas a again, Tuskegee, Oklahoma State, and Colorado. Okay, so you expanded your options. Correct. Tuskegee accepted me. Yeah. Oklahoma State had me on the waiting list. Okay. So, so as soon as Tuskegee accepted me, I'm like, yep, <laughs> I'm not waiting any longer. Yeah, wow. So how, how did that feel when you got that acceptance? Ooh, it was, it was surreal at, at that point. I'm like, finally. And, and my big thing, I just needed someone to look past my last name. Uh -huh. Being Hispanic, trying to get into vet school is, I mean, I, it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, here in Texas, I belong to about 1% of the veterinarian population that's Hispanic. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's tough. So, I mean, when I got accepted, it was like, usually they tell you is that when you receive your packet, if you got accepted, if you're like, if it's a thin little, yeah. like, eh, you probably didn't get in. And if it's a thick one, it's like, 
you got accepted. And I got a thing when I'm like, crap. But then I opened it and it was an acceptance letter. I'm like, <laughs> they tricked you. <laughs> yeah. It was overwhelming that day. Yeah. It really was. So it's interesting that you say, you talk about your last name, which is Lopez. Correct. Uh, has, do you think your last name has affected you in other parts of your life? Yeah. I think, um, especially in, in the veterinary world, most people don't expect, especially here in the States, uh, a Hispanic as a veterinarian. It's very uncommon. And I still see that today at the clinic. They're like, Lopez? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, and when people are fine with it, it's just something that's not as common. Right. I, I think you see more common MDs, Hispanic MDs, than you do Hispanic veterinarians. I've, I've had to jump through a lot of obstacles just to get to where I'm at, I think just because of my last name. At some point, I even think of just people trusting you to see the patients. It's unusual, it's different. Having a Hispanic kid work on, work on your pet, just something people are not used to yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really feel it's changing. The numbers are definitely changing. The number of underrepresented students in veterinary medicine has doubled since 2010. Veterinary college enrollment among non-white students was 11.9%. Now, in 2020, it's 21.1%. 7.5% is Latinx. And and I see that now that uh, whatever route that I took to get here was a little bit longer than expected, but I'm here. But now I see more kids following the same footsteps that I am. And I'm kind of trying to guide them in a faster route than what I did. So because there are so few Hispanic veterinarians, what do you think, just some ideas um, of what the profession can do to um, increase those numbers? What the profession can do is education at an early age, going into classrooms and saying, Hi, I'm a veterinarian. This is what I do. Um, that would be something that I would like to do here pretty soon in the future uh, to show these kids that you can do it. Going, pushing these kids to do stuff like 4-H and FFA, um, something that I wanted to do when I was young, but I didn't because of that language barrier. Mm. Um, that way parents can come and ask, ask me for advice on their stock for their kids. Uh, I think that's something very important for uh, Hispanic veterinarians, especially to get involved in all these activities for for kids. Uh, So these kids can see and they can assimilate. It's like, that's what I want to be or that's what I want to do. So what's amazing is you applied several times, didn't get in, but it didn't deter you. The fact that you, like how you said, you know, you're going to do it at all costs. Is there some feeling inside you that, that just like keeps you going despite, you know, people saying no to you? Do you think there's something unique about yourself? I've been told no a lot of times. I mean, they can keep seeing no, but I'm going to keep trying till, till I get what I need to get done. I'm not one to give up. I'll keep working at it, working at it. If it takes me another 20 years, I'll do it again. Yeah. The funniest thing I can relate to with that is I applied to be in the musical in high school. I didn't get it freshman year. 
or sophomore year. And then finally the third time I auditioned, I got it. <laughs> and I know it's just a musical, but I, who knows if I applied that third time, if I, if I didn't get it, if I would have been like, you know what, I don't want to, um, I mean, my voice is not great, but I mean, just the fact that like saying no, sometimes it is a motivation to be like, okay, that's what you think. Well, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> and my things, I didn't want to continue life with what if I would apply that one more time. Oh, yeah. What if? That kind of gives you chills. So, um, I'm like at that point. I'm like, the worst thing they can tell me is no. Yeah. They already told me no three times. <laughs> one time. Yeah. We're gonna take a quick break so I can tell you about this episode sponsor, Hippo Manager. Hippo Manager is a cloud-based veterinary practice management software that serves as the central nervous system for your clinic. It manages and integrates your data with your labs, pharmacy, client communication tools, and more. Hippo is easy to use and gives you flexibility so you can practice medicine your way. Perfect for mobile veterinarians, specialty practices, small animal clinics, corporate practices, and more. It's available at a one simple price. $119 per month per veterinarian. Visit hippomanager.com to sign up for a demo and free trial. Come see for yourself. So you talked about helping um, younger Hispanic children. Hispanic children, yes, but I mean, anybody that wants to go into the profession in general. Yeah. Um, I always say Hispanic children because I lived it. I understand the struggles that they're going through, all the challenges that go with it. What I saw a lot was the language barrier was one, was a big one. With my parents was lack of assistance, like in school, especially with homework or having to translate um, when, like even like PTA stuff, I mean, how do I explain this to my parents? It's a lot of pressure put, put on you as a child to, then you're expected to grow up and do all this stuff at a very young age. And, uh, and there's where I feel like I can help these kids. Like I'm having trouble with, with this part of school. I'm like, okay, I'm like, I was there. Let me tell you how I got around it or how, what helped even asking for help. Mm-hmm. I mean, asking for help was a big thing. It's, I think it's a, a cultural thing that we, we have to be tough. Uh, we have to grow up quick. Asking for help is sometimes difficult, um, even if it was asking help from a teacher. So how did you get through those times where you needed help with homework? Like, would you turn to the, you said you don't, you didn't want to ask for help. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it was, it was a struggle the whole way. It was like pulling yeah. teeth. And I think eventually it got to a point where I got the courage enough to, to ask. And I mean, as a young kid, I mean, you it's like you don't want to be asking your teacher for for all this for this help yeah but um i think it got to a point where you have to swallow your pride and ask ask for the help and so were there other hispanic children that you went to school with who were going through some of the same things as you that you could you know turn to yeah definitely i mean there's i mean there's a bunch of kids in where i went to school kind of the same language barrier, lack of assistance, uh, whether they got the help that they needed or they pushed through it, I don't know. But I mean, yes, there was more 
there and, and there still is today i mean in the school system there is a lot of children that, that need the help that need the assistance to to get where they want to get yeah and so you know you said you want to help younger you want, you want to help children so are there some concrete ways that you're going to go about that like how do you get in touch with the children like going to high schools what are, what are you thinking Actually, uh, I've been reached out by a couple, um, like, well, my wife's a counselor, and uh, we have plans to go so I can talk to kids that want to pursue this, or, or why you want to pursue college. I'm prime example that it can be done. I think what these kids need to see is someone that looks like them, yeah. can, can be a doctor, can be an MD, can be a PhD, what they portray I guess you would say even like on TV shows, when have you ever seen Hispanic MD or veterinarian or PhD on whatever show you want to watch? Yeah. I want to show them that someone that looks like them can, can achieve those high degrees. Yeah. No, that is very important to, to see um, themselves reflected. And, uh, Correct. Yeah. And and I like I said, I'd like to go and just be that role model to help them be an active role model mm-hmm. to push them and say it's possible. Is this something you always wanted to do while you were earning your DVM? I don't know if I did, but I actually did learn something while I was in vet school is that I learned that I do like to teach. Okay. And that's something that has kind of grown on me before even my master's. I was kind of timid, didn't really like to talk to people. I just kind of found my way and it was easier to talk to people as I went through my master's, as I went through vet school. It just helped my communication a lot better. I guess now now I go into rooms and talk to clients and it's like second nature. Yeah. I don't have to think about being nervous or anything like that. Yeah, that's really good because I know client communication is so important. They always say, you know, you're not talking to the pet, you know, the pet's attached to the human. <laughs> so you need to, yeah, be comfortable. Yes, ma'am. So you, you were the first of your, in your family to get an undergrad. Correct. Okay. So tell me how all of that felt when you told your parents, your family, you know, first to get undergrad and then master's and then DVM. Like, how did that feel telling your family? I guess the hard part was trying to get my parents to understand what I was doing. Uh, Cause after every, like after my tech degree, like, are you a doctor yet? I'm like, no. Uh, after my bachelor, are you a doctor yet? No. I'm like, Man, just keep going to graduation, you're not a doctor yet. I mean, I don't fault my parents for it. I mean, my parents have a elementary education and it's hard for me to explain what, I think it was a big relief and um, I could tell the difference once I graduated from vet school that told me, yes, I'm a doctor now. Like I could see like the big change in, in how they perceived when I told them, they, like, yes, I'm done. That's it. I guess it was surreal telling them like, yes, I can tell you that I am now. Uh, and that I know they've been waiting for it for a long time. Yeah. Like in that article, it said the, the American dream. I mean, this is my parents' American dream to have a better life for their children. And here it is. So was anyone emotional about this? I could imagine being like, oh, I finally did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
especially my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I moved away to, well, I was in school in Alabama. My parents were here in Texas. So, I mean, it was hard. Um, I would see him twice a year, maybe. Oh, man. Yeah. I was, I mean, I talked to him on the phone, but I mean, it's not the same. Yeah. Um, and then when she learned I was going to come back and practice at home, I mean, it was even better. Yeah. But it, I mean, that day was, was a lot to take in that day. I mean, a lot of years of work for that one piece of paper that says I'm a, I'm a DVM. And you said that your wife also pushed you a little bit. Tell me about that. I wouldn't say a little bit, I would say a lot. A lot, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, like I said, we started a master's together. At that point, I mean, at some points I was really defeated. Not sure if I wanted to continue uh, applying to vet school, but she just kept pushing and pushing at it. I owe her a lot. She helped me get where I'm at. When I was in vet school, I mean, she worked for, she was the only one working, so um, that really helped. She pushed through vet school just just like I did. I mean, if I could, I'd give her an honorary DVM. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she put up with me in the ups and downs of vet school, which is there's a lot. Yeah. And I'm truly grateful for that. What What are some of the ups and downs of veterinary school? I'm sure listeners could probably oh. relate. <laughs> I mean, it's just so much information, lack of sleep the lack of what's going to, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, just test after test and just so much information that just thrown at you. You have to kind of absorb what you can and go with it. I spent probably my second and third year sleeping about three to four hours a day. Oh yeah. It's rough. Yeah. On the upside, you learn how to do all this high stress stuff with all these tests going on. You meet people from all over the world, which I still keep in contact with. I have classmates that are veterinarians and from all over the country. Uh, if I need something, I call them. They can help me out with certain things, vice versa. So, I mean, there's, there's some pluses to it. <laughs> yeah. And did you find a lot of uh, Hispanic veterinary students at Tuskegee? Uh, we had, there was one more, there was another student that was from Mexico. Uh, there were some students that were Puerto Rican. But Hispanic or Mexican, there's two of us. At Tuskegee University College of Veterinary Medicine, out of approximately 225 students, 33 are Latinx. Based on this data from the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges and Dr. Lopez's statement, it appears that his class of 2020 had the fewest number of Latinx students. It's, it's such a small school that you pretty much make friends with everybody. Yeah, that is that is a lot smaller than A&M because the class size is now or 160. Yeah, yeah Tuskegee has usually that smaller class. So I'm curious, you know, because your wife pushed you so much, was there anything specific she would say to you? I, I think the biggest thing, and I, I said, I'll never forget this. I remember my first year in vet school after my first anatomy exam. I'm like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I'm like, I think I'm ready to go home. And she's like, she's like, you've been trying to get into med school forever. You took somebody's spot because you wanted to be here. Oh, wow. She's like, if you want to, we can pack up and go home right now. She's like, I won't have any hard feelings. But when she told me, I'm like, I did take somebody's spot. 
and I chose to be here. And I think from then on, I didn't complain anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So does your wife know how much she's helped you? Like, do you think she knows really the true impact? I think she does. Yeah, I've told her. She's one of the main reasons I'm here today. That's amazing. Yeah. I know we're still in the time of COVID. (laughs) I was wondering if you did anything to celebrate when you graduated, like even maybe just going to get some yummy food. It was hard to do anything (laughs) during this COVID time. I know. I really didn't get to do much. Uh, We are from the barbecue capital of the world, so we did get barbecue. Nice. but it's, it's been hard to, to kind of go out and celebrate because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I would just be so frustrated <laughs> with that. I'd be like, I finally yeah. graduated and now this. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to go on vacation right after I graduated. Oh. Uh, to kind of take a break before I started working. Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen. So I just went straight to work. <laughs> but where were you guys going to go? I think she was planning somewhere in Cancun or somewhere down there but like I said didn't happen (laughs) yeah a a future trip yeah future trip yeah and so now that you are working it's at Chisholm Trail Vet Clinic Uh uh-huh so how is it going like tell me about your first day (laughs) ah it's stressful but it's rewarding it's a big transition going from a veterinary student to learn how to be a doctor. Uh, big transition. Uh, right now, I'm very grateful. I have very good mentorship. The doctor that's there, he's very good. I look up to what he does. Uh, what he says helps me out through, through the day with cases. I get to a certain point in the case, I'm like, okay, so do I go left or do I go right? And he's like, well, if you go left this, if you go right here, and he kind of guides me. Uh, where I need to go but it's been good I mean everybody's been very welcoming very helpful on whatever I need but it's been a good experience so far Uh, I've been veterinary more than six weeks something like that that's so exciting yes but it's it's good it's like a big learning curve is what I'm doing right now Uh, I'm just learning how to be a doctor yeah I know um some veterinarians I've spoken with will say it feels like I have the imposter syndrome when they first started. Have uh-huh. you heard about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, am I really a doctor some, some days? And you, think, you have to really think about it. Yeah. But I feel like it's getting better and better as we go. I'm starting to see more cases, starting to see more repetition. But I think it's just part of, that's why it's called practicing medicine. You're always learning something. Yeah. Has there been any day or any specific case within the past six weeks that have been surprising to you or um, have really taught you something? Yes, especially when I'm doing, say, um, treatments or whatever on these patients. I'm like, I really not like I read it in the book. I'm like, I'm really not sure if this is going to work. Send them home with treatment and they call the next day. Oh, he's doing good. I'm like. <sighs> you can take a deep breath. Yeah. Uh, actually, today I did my first canine C-section. Oh, okay. Which went well. I've never done one before. It's my first one. Um, yeah. 
and it went better than expected. Wow. So it's crazy that, you know, you go through vet school and you had never done that specific procedure. Like you're just learning on the job. Correct. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. I mean, you read about them in the book about how to do a C-section, but when you're actually there, it's like, uh, it's a little bit different. But I mean, the the good thing that I would say about Tuskegee where I went to med school, smaller classes, we get a lot of hands-on. Um, actually, we got to do a lot of surgery. So it's something I do feel comfortable doing. That's good. Even if I have to sit down and read about it 30 minutes prior to surgery or something like that. They really helped me with that, especially. I recently watched the show on Disney Plus, and it's actually these two veterinarians. I think it takes place in Georgia. I'll have to look up the name. The show is called Critter Fixers, Country Vets. One of them, I believe he does a C-section of a dog, and he has to warm up the puppies, like kind of like stimulates them. And I I had never... I didn't know that's how it works. So was that part of what you had to do as well? Well, I, I was actually doing the surgery. It was the techs that helped with, with, with that. Yeah. But they, uh, they simulate the puppies because they're not going through a natural birth stage through the canal. Okay. Yeah. So they have to simulate them. So I was, as I was taking puppies out of the C-section, I was handing them to the techs. Uh, we had five puppies and four of them were alive. So. Okay. So is that one of those days, you know, people always talk about like puppies and kittens. Is that one of those days where it's like, yay, like a happy day as a vet? Um, I would say it's a happy dance for a little bit because you got to move on to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps on going. Yeah. Well, I know that there's, you know, with euthanasia, sorry to go back to the end of life. Um, it It is really important to take at least a moment or two to really think about it. Have you experienced anything where it's been really hard and you need a second to debrief? Yeah, especially on those patients that you spend time working on and you get a good client-patient relationship with the client. Sometimes those moments are hard because, you know, if you put the time, you put the effort to help them with their pet, which a lot of times nowadays is part of their family. Yeah. And it just makes it difficult at times just trying to explain that it's Maybe this is a time for it to let him go. Is there anything else about your story you'd like to share with people? One of the biggest things that I'd like to share is, especially with, with kids that want to go into this area, is, I mean, you're, you're going to get no's, you're going to get rejections. The thing is, you got to look past it. Uh, it can be done. You just got to keep pushing forward. The last thing you want on, on your conscience is that what if. What if I'd applied? What if I would have said something or tried some different way to do this? Don't continue life with that what if because it'll haunt you. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that you won't have to deal, you don't have to deal with that because <laughs> you got to see it through. Yes. Like I said, it took a long time, but we're here now and uh, I'm glad I kept pushing. I'm glad I kept pushing and, uh, and now, now I'm at where I wanted to be, but who knows what the future future beholds for us. So we'll, we'll keep practicing and keep doing what we need to do. That was Dr. Victor Lopez sharing his arduous and inspirational journey of becoming a veterinarian. 
His story illustrates how children born to immigrant parents face multiple barriers. For him, it was a Hispanic last name, little money, few resources, and a greater likelihood of facing rejection. Yet, he overcame those obstacles with hard work, persistence, and even a little bit of luck. That little bit of luck was meeting Dr. Davidson at the subway shop. It probably was one of the most serendipitous, defining moments in his life. That helped launch his career. Another was meeting his wife. He said he wouldn't be where he is today without her love and encouragement. And now he wants to mentor children, specifically Latinx kids, who are interested in pursuing veterinary medicine. Perhaps these efforts will increase the number of veterinarians who are Hispanic. For now, Dr. Lopez is enjoying being a veterinarian. Finally. On the next episode of Veterinary Vitals, you'll hear another story of hope. Again, when I was at my worst, I felt broken. You know, I felt like, why can't I be happy? Doctors William McCauley and Jen Brandt take on mental health issues and how veterinarians have options to address and overcome them. For now, please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA.